The Dad presents episode 17, Scott Blazy. It all starts right now. Vincent Billy, teach me how to paint. Teresa, will I ever be a saint? Hey, this is Matt from The Dad Presents. We're here with episode 17. Uh, dog is not here today. Most likely he's at Sapphire and, uh, Bees on Family Business. I'm here with Scott Blazy, the, um, singer of the infamous Clarks out of Pittsburgh. How you doing, Scott? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing, Matt? Very good. Thanks a lot. So, Scott, I, I really appreciate you joining us. I've been a fan for a long time. I went to college in Pittsburgh, and you guys are legends there. Um, I, I want to know, I want to go all the way back and when did you first realize you were talented in music? Oh, I was about 45. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it took me a while. I was a late bloomer. I didn't pick up a guitar until I was 18 years old. I absorbed a lot of music as a kid, but I didn't sort of switch to output until I was much older. And uh, it took me a good decade to just sort of get my feet under me. And feel like okay, I, I I can do this now. I can play and sing well enough that um, maybe I can make a go of this. Yeah, wow! You didn't you didn't pick up guitar till you were eighteen. I mean, I tried picking up guitar in my twenties, and I found it incredibly hard to 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 try to learn when you know not growing up with that. Uh, did you pick it up pretty easy? Um, yeah, it came pretty naturally. I I was a freshman in college, and I had some friends on my dormitory hall that had guitars and. We would sit around at night and play Neil Young songs and Beatles and just some of the basics, and and I took it from there. I, I, my dad bought me a guitar the summer after that freshman year, and and I ran with it. I was in a band, and within another year and a half, two years, and I just learned on the job. Yeah, you guys uh, called yourself the administrators or something like that. The administration, the, you know, the we administration. were just a college That's band, it. and we were, you know, we didn't have anything, and. And that was long and tedious, and that lasted for a year. And then uh, we had some personnel changes, and the four original members of the Clarks started in '86, and that's when we sort of christened the name the Clarks. And and but yeah, the administration it was the first iteration. Yeah, well, I mean, number one, that's amazing that you're you're still touring, performing, making music with the same guys that you started with 30 years ago. That's that's unheard of, really. Like I can't think of really any other band that that's been together that long with all the original members um what's what's the secret there i mean you got bands like blink 182 and rage against the machine they can't last a decade how, how have you guys made it for 30 years without killing each other uh well we we had our moments where we didn't want to be in the same room <laughs> you know? yeah but um you know we've always um uh, we've always had some goal to work toward you know we never got really as successful as we wanted to, you know, sort of when we were starting out, we were young and, uh, you, you sort of want to conquer the world. And, um, we just, you know, just, just kept going and kept making a living quite frankly, and building a fan base. And it never really slowed down. It was just a very gradual climb up the mountain and, and, uh, you know, and, and we've really enjoyed it. We've added members over the years. Our drummer's son is in the band now. So it's really a family affair. Uh, some of our daughters sing, and uh, we have a lot of fun with it. So it's amazing that we've lasted as long as we have. We're, as good, we're, we're probably closer now than we ever have been. That's, that's fantastic. 
Um, you, you you said you never got as big as you wanted to. Now you got a amazing loyal following in, in Pittsburgh and surrounding, you know, Western Pennsylvania, um, and you've had some mainstream success. Um, why why did it never get bigger or as big as you wanted it to, as you say? Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's summed up in our song "Born Too Late." You know, I think what we did, the kind of music Great we song. embraced. Um, it sort of, it, it's, it's peak came before us. Um, you know, that's kind of what I write about in that song. I feel like I, I was just 15 years behind the curve. I should have been writing there with Tom Petty and, and having seen the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, but I was, I was just a little behind that. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's all where that, that song comes from. Um, and, and uh, that's the idea behind, uh, um, you know, feeling like uh, we sort of missed the wave of the style of music that we do, which is really just sort of a, a you know, a, a real straight ahead rock and roll, um, pop, uh, you know, a little bit of flavor with country and stuff like that. So, um, you know, by the time we sort of were late 90s was our, you know, sort of commercial push, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, grunge was already over. It was it was sort of like um, uh, metal rap and, and hip hop had really taken off. And so, you know, we just were like, well, we sort of missed that that way. But there's still a lot of people that love guitar-based songwriting and rock and roll that we latched onto an audience, and they just kept with us. And music is, is wonderful in that way. That was a neat thing. You know, we're always gathering fans, and and uh, you know, you do it long enough, and you really sort of seep in uh, to the consciousness out there. Right, right. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the, the way you, on your um, your one song. Boys lie. You tried a little bit of rapping, <laughs> you know. Maybe, maybe that's the direction to go. A little more booty shaking and rapping. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That album for sure. In fact, that was two thousand two, and there's a song called "On Saturday" that's very much a, a pop. Yeah. Um, you know, pop pop riffs and and definitely going in a direction that you know um, we didn't start out doing. But it all felt real natural. I don't know, you know, Boys Lie is, is, uh, is I wasn't full on rapping. But it no, was no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding you. Yeah. <laughs> that I wasn't used to. And it was fun for a while, but that's one that uh, we don't really play live. And if I never did it again, uh, I'd be quite happy. Oh, it's a good song. I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> we, get requ- we get requests for it, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to pass. Yeah. <laughs> so... Your self-titled album, uh, The Clarks, kind of got me through the summer of 92. Then you got another happy ending, which got me through a breakup with my first fiancé. And now you got Madly in Love at the End of the World, your newest album. And I think that might even be my, my most favorite Clarks album yet. It's, it's terrific. So a couple questions. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, a couple questions. I'm wondering if there's an album, you know, you guys have so many albums. Is there an album that speaks more to you personally, that really hits home for you, that you enjoy playing live? And the other question is, most bands typically put out their best shit like within their first three albums. That's pretty. That's probably ninety percent of the industry. You guys have stayed right. at the same level or even gotten better. What what inspires you to keep making great songs? How is this? How is this happening? Um. Well, uh, to answer your first question, I you know I I love the Let It Go album. It's got um, Snowman and I'm a Fool and Better Off Without You and, and really five or six songs that we still do live. Right. Um, 
it was the it was the album that sort of saved the band in a lot of ways. We were on MCA prior to that, and they dropped us. Uh, we sort of floundered for a little while. We did a live album, and then we had this three or four year period, this lull where we were just writing a lot of songs. We weren't really recording. We had been doing records every two years, and we found ourselves, uh, you know, with a little more time off. And then when that record hit, uh, it really reached a younger generation of fans. Yeah, uh, and it really helped us sort of get to another level. And we did that record, and then two more with a guy named Justin Meebank in Franklin, Tennessee, and they were on Razor and Tie. And you know, we just we got out there. We, we traveled over those albums too, and particularly Let It Go really started to travel all over the country and you know cultivate fan bases and in, in other places. And one nice thing about Pittsburghers is when they go somewhere else. Uh, if you come visit them in their town, they're going to come <laughs> see the show. Oh, absolutely. Clark's fans will bring their friends. Absolutely. You know, and they're yeah. everywhere. You've been out here a couple of times in Los Angeles, and, and it was to yeah. a packed house. So, yeah, that's definitely right. true. Um, yeah, you mentioned the Let It Go album. I, I love the cover art on that album, the butterfly chained to the, you know, chained to the ground yeah. with the big heavy chain. Uh, Where did you come up with that? Did you guys design that? What's that all about? That's actually a stock photograph that oh, no can, you that we did purchase on the internet. We purchased the rights to it to use it for that purpose, um, and then we had a um, a photographer friend, Dwayne Reader, and he had some graphic design friends, and, and so they took that photograph and they they colored it and sort of manipulated it a little, uh, and then did his own photography and put the whole package together. And yeah, I love that artwork. Uh, and I love that photograph. That was always one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it too. Um, yeah. The, the the second question about your longevity and and keep putting out the great stuff right. when so many other bands kind of fade or at least don't keep up the same quality of music. What do you attribute that to? Um, I, really, I think for the first, you know, really for me, the first four albums, I was just learning. I, I was just figuring out how to be a singer trying to figure out how to write songs, trying to figure out how to fit in and, and make what we did live translate into the studio. So I feel like that was just getting to the point where when we made Let It Go, um, you know, we kept making the records. We felt like kept getting better and better. And, and really up to what you mentioned about Madly in Love at the End of the World, we all love this record and it just loved the sound of the band and really just feel like we're hitting our stride. Yeah, I think um, so. 30 32 years later yeah that's that's remarkable it really is remarkable the the first half of the album it's it's uh got like a i don't know like a kind of americana country feel and then and then you get to the back half of that album and it gets it starts getting a little darker um the one song i wanted to ask you about um you know being that this is a, a podcast about parenthood but we have a lot of musicians on um, I always like to ask right. some parenting questions. The one song caught my ear, In Blood, pretty dark. Right. Um, it's about, it seems to me to be about a bunch of teenagers that get themselves killed in a car accident. And I'm wondering, as a fellow father, is it, did you write this from some kind of personal experience, or is this more of a cautionary tale for your daughters? What's it about? Uh, both of those things. It was, a, it was an actual event that happened um, not real far from where we live. Uh, you know, I don't know, a year and a half or so ago, a bunch of young girls out partying, drinking, using their phones in the car, uh, social media, 
um, you know, drinking and driving and just went off the road and four young girls, three of them were killed. Uh, you know, they're all young twenties. One was just late teens, I think. And it was just so sad. And, you know, being the father of three daughters, uh, you know, I can't imagine that, that horror. And so, you know, it touched me and I just, I started writing, uh, you know, that song. It's not, you know, it's really just a commentary on uh, bad decisions. And I hate pointing fingers, but, you know, people are young, people make mistakes, but man, that's a really big mistake uh, that, that ruins a lot of lives. So, and, and I hope, you know, that my kids um, who are aware of what happened, um, you know, can sort of process that and learn from it. Yeah, I mean, that's really every parent's worst nightmare. And, you know, when your kids start becoming that age where they can drive or they're getting in, into cars with friends, uh, you're, you're right. you got to feel a little bit powerless in that situation. There's only so much you can do. It's, it's scary. Yeah, uh, yeah it yeah. is. It is. And, yep, it can, you can't feel like your family is immune or your children are immune and you have to educate them and... Um, trust that they'll make their the best judgments but uh there's no guarantees yeah man that's that's kind of how i feel about the the drinking and the drugs thing like i think a lot of parents just try to scare their kids about drinking and drugs and scare them off of it um your kids are going to experiment at least to some degree there's only so much you can do to stop your kids from drinking so i always feel like it's best to just educate them let them know that you're not going to judge them and let them know that, you know, if you do drink, you know, I'd prefer that you don't, but if you do, I'm cool with it and you call me and I'll come get you or take an Uber, but do not get in the car with someone who's been drinking because I know when we were in high school, that's what we did. There was no Uber and we weren't going to call our parents and say, yo, yo, dad, I'm drunk. Come get me. That's, that just wasn't going to happen. And people died, you know, it happens in every high school. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I have, we have, I think a lot of parents these days have that policy. Look, um, if you ever feel like you need a ride, I'm, I'm a phone call away. You yeah. know, you gotta, you get a get out of jail free card. Uh, I'll, I'll applaud. I, I might not applaud, you know, certain decisions, but certainly I'll applaud the decision that you made to call me and get you out of a sticky situation. Right. Now, let me ask you about that as, as a parent. Um, there's a lot, you know, you've been making music for a long time, long before you had children, and you make music about, um, you know, things that rock and roll is about, partying, drinking, um, yeah. sex, all that stuff. Breaking up. Breaking up, yeah. <laughs> do you how, how do you, how do you talk to your daughters about that kind of stuff when they hear it in your music? Are you just straight up with them? What approach do you take? Yeah, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty straight ahead with and and forthright with my kids. Um, you know, fortunately, you know, the stuff that I've written about, it's you know, it's relationship stuff and maybe some topical stuff. And uh, I've never been a hardcore partier. Certainly, <clears throat> nothing that my kids have uh, become aware of, and I won't steer them in that direction. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I think there's enough good things in the lyrics, and particularly now, that's something that you consider when you're writing songs. Um, you know, what message are you sending? Uh, I think you can still write a good song and have a lot of meaning um, and, and still be aware of, of who your audience is and younger people and how, you know, how it affects them and uh, how they process those kind of lyrics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay, getting back to the early days, um, 
before you were making music, before the Clarks were at, at least were successful, you were selling medical supplies. Um, I became right. a writer in my late 20s after moving to Los Angeles. I, I, I'm from Pennsylvania. I went to college in Pittsburgh. But before moving to L.A., I, I wasn't even a, aware that being a writer was a thing that you could be. You know, there was no Internet. I didn't know anybody that was a right. writer or anything like that. Coming from Pittsburgh, right. how did you... How did you get the guts to just say, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to quit my job. And I'm going to go for it. <laughs> you know, honestly, I just, I had blinders on it. Just never, nothing else was really an option. Um, well, once, medical supplies, that's an got, option. Once you got uh, a song on the radio, once, you know, once I started hearing our songs on the radio and particularly Penny on the floor, uh, which became really popular around here in the early nineties. Um, once that happened, I, I was all in, and it was just a matter of logistics about, okay, quitting the job, making sure I had enough money to live on, um, and, and let's go, let's play, let's play as often as we can, four or five nights a week, travel you know, regionally and as far as we can afford to go, and uh, I, I just I didn't even think about the consequences. I was young, I was single, I was childless, I didn't really, I only had to worry about myself, and uh, I was, uh, you know, I figured, well, now's the time to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you, get, you get a little taste of that, of, of, uh, of getting on the radio and then that adulation that comes with bigger crowds at your shows. And, and then it's like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Penny on the Floor, I mean, fantastic song. Anybody from Pittsburgh knows and loves this song. Um, do you ever get sick of playing that one? You probably get requested that song at every show. We, we play it all the time, and, you know, it's it's the kind of song that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that really love it. There's also a small portion of people that really hate it <laughs> and don't want to hear it and will go to the bathroom while we play it. And I get that, you know, it's like it's almost 30 years old, and it's been on the radio for a long, long time. Um, and I think... Uh, I still like playing it. I still like the guitar line i still like the melody i still like singing it the other thing that happened was about 10 years ago we added a, a pedal steel player named gary jacob uh and he just plays all these beautiful lines over it on pedal steel and uh we have a, a key play, keyboard player now too skip sanders who plays a little piano over it and it's just it's just turned into a really gorgeous song and it's funny because when i listen to the recording uh, it's, we were just a very, very young band and, um, you know, my voice is very different and, and we, we sort of approach it a little differently. It's a lot more polished now and it's, uh, it, we call it the, it, it's a Western Pennsylvania folk song, love it or hate it. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and for having written it at such a young age, it's, it's got, uh, layers and layers in that song. So it's kind of a profound song. That's impressive. It's a pretty cool lyric for a young guy to to yeah. to, to do. I'm I'm proud of that. I, I'm I like the way it turned out. It's a it's a um, it's a song. Like I guess you could broadly call it a breakup song, relationship song. But it has a heart. You know, there's the, the, the you sort of care about people involved and uh, uh, a loving. It, it's a breakup song with a, a loving heart. Right. Right. Um. What for me, what makes you guys really special is is going to see you guys live. 
Um, I've, I've seen you guys live more times than I can count just on Carson street in Pittsburgh alone, you know, places like Nick's fat city and, <laughs> you know, and you guys just have this infectious energy that gets like the grumpiest old Pittsburgh drunk about off of his stool to dance. And, um, yeah. And I mean, I've seen you guys as recently as, you know, like five years ago is the same thing at your yeah. ripe age. Where does that energy come from? Cause I struggle with that. Man, let me let me tell you when the when the lights hit and the music gets loud and there's an audience and they're singing along with you. There's a lot of energy there and there's energy coming off the stage and there's energy coming back at us from the crowd. And uh, it, it's not hard to get up for that. I still love to play live. I, I live for it. And we're fortunate we play, you know, tour like we did when we were younger. We still, you know, uh, I, I probably do about a hundred shows a year, uh, which is just comfortable. Uh, so I still love you, to do You do a hundred shows a year now? Still? hundred shows? Yeah, man, yeah. Yeah, we used to do 200, 225 or so a year or on the road, even more than that. So uh, we've cut back a lot. But I still do about a hundred shows a year. But it's it's just perfect. And I have, certainly have time for my family I have, uh, during the week. I'm with my kids and, you know, getting them up for school and helping with homework and, and making dinners and stuff. And my wife and I... Uh, we love it. You yeah, know, man. Just, uh, I mean, you, you, you said a little bit earlier, you never got super big, but in, in my estimation, you guys are like, you've got the perfect amount of fame. I mean, you, you're making a comfortable living. You're not gone all the time. You can go out to eat without people harassing you. You, you, you got time with your family. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want to be Tom Cruise and you, you know, you can't go to the supermarket because people won't leave you alone. Right. You got to tour 300 times a year. I, I mean, I think you got a pretty right. sweet life. I feel, uh, I agree. I feel very blessed. I, I'm very happy and comfortable with the amount of uh, performing that I do in relation to the amount of time I get to spend with my family and my kids and my wife. Um, that said, uh, I wouldn't mind being a little more successful. <laughs> it would be really fun to be able to tour, you know, through the summer on buses uh, and just in playing really nice theaters and, and do that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, at some point, actually, we've talked once the kids are sort of older and grown and in high school, we might take another couple of runs around the country and, and a splurge on a bus and, and have a little fun. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind a little higher level of success, but I, I certainly uh, love and appreciate what I have uh, yeah. because it's a lot. Yeah, and, it is a lot. Uh, I, I never, I, yeah, I, I never, uh, I never take it for granted. Yeah, man. I mean, look, ninety percent of us, and I'm, I'm in that category. We, we don't enjoy what we do for a living. We do it because you know we're feeding our families, and and you're one of the lucky ones. I right. assume you love what you're doing, so you know that's that's. I absolutely do. It's a good yeah. life. Um, getting back to Pittsburgh, I, I think you know, I'm, I'm biased. I live in Los Angeles now. I've been out here twenty years, and I'm probably biased about Pittsburgh. I, I only went to college here. I'm from Eastern Pennsylvania. But I feel it's a, right. it's a special city. It's got like a blue collar feel without being one of those like backward redneck towns, so to speak. There's like a, right. a civic pride right. there and for the city, for the people, for what it produces, you know, like steel, Heinz ketchup, Iron City beer, local talent like you, Rusted right. Root, even Donnie Iris. Um, sure. Living now in Los Angeles where, you know... I don't even know my neighbors. I'm not going to get together with them for a barbecue to watch the Lakers. No, nobody gives a shit. Um, right. What is it about Pittsburgh that the, the, the city just really bonds over the commonalities of Pittsburgh? 
Right. I, I think I think part of it is size. It's it's just much smaller. Uh, it's small enough so that you feel a connection with your neighbor. You feel a connection with um, the Italians that live in Bloomfield. You feel a connection with the people that live in Polish Hill. You feel a connection with the the Jewish community in Squirrel Hill. Um, we all have this this Pittsburgh commonality. Uh, and sometimes it's rooted in the Steelers, and sometimes it's rooted in Donnie Iris, and sometimes it's rooted in Primanti Brothers, and sometimes it's rooted in Wiz Khalifa. But it just, uh, uh, it, it, we're small enough that it permeates through all people that live. I live now in Washington County, but I'm still a Pittsburgher. You know, it's it's really that region, that Western Pennsylvania region, and it stems from the strength of the hub and that is you know the people that live and work in pittsburgh that grew up there all the different ethnicities and all the different neighborhoods and the terrain and the hills and the rivers and the and the steel industry uh and the the revival that is happening there now is really remarkable to watch i moved there in the late 80s and it was really bottoming out Right. Um, as far as economically, as far as people leaving the city, there was a mass exodus from the city, from the region. That's why we do so well when we play out of town is because everybody left Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, yeah. They went to Charlotte, North Carolina. They went to Orlando. They went to Los Angeles, wherever. So we benefit from that. But, uh, man, that's the essence of Pittsburgh for me is that, that just tight-knit um, commonality, really, that stems from all of our differences. Uh, I think Pittsburgh's a really a model community in how all the different um, uh, religious groups, ethnicities, can all still come together uh, and uh, under the umbrella of Pittsburgh and wear black and gold and, and root for those teams and listen to that music and eat that food. Right. Uh, that's what Pittsburgh and me. Yeah. Uh- Talking about the black and gold, a little bit of a disappointing season this year. I assume you're a Steeler fan. Now, given that you have a daughter or three daughters and a wife, do you have to fight for that remote right. on Sundays, or do you just submit to their whims, or are, are they on board? Well, I can tell you that my wife is as big, if not bigger, a Steeler fan than I am. Nice. So uh, it is no, there is no question that when the Steelers are on, the TV will be on to the Steeler game, as well as if we have things to do. Um, that's the one time that mom and dad control the radio. Hmm. Uh, sorry, kids, we're not watching the movie. The Steelers are on. We're listening to 102.5 TV <laughs> uh, to listen to the game. So, uh, uh, yeah, we all share that. And the kids love it, too. You know, it's, that's, that's the other thing. They've, they've, they've grown up with it as well. Yeah, nice. Um, do you have a, do you have a, I mentioned Nick's Fat City. Do you have a, a favorite joint to play in Pittsburgh? Or would that be betraying all the joints if you, if you threw yeah, one out well, there? It's, well, now that, you, you know, we really only play at a handful of venues in town. We play at Stage AE, which I, I love. And we play, you know, out of Jurgles in Warrendale in the North Hills, which is really a great venue too. And, and, and then a bunch of other venues, uh, that we play as an acoustic trio or me solo, but, no, as far as Pittsburgh and uh, currently, I love playing at Stage AE. It's just a world class venue. There's an outdoor venue, an indoor one, and, and uh, you know, great facilities, great staff, and 
it's it's my favorite place to play. Yeah. Um, that said, there's been you know many venues over the years that have really just um, captured what it is to to be in Pittsburgh and play. Uh, in the city, and I remember, I remember the first time I played at Point State Park on that big stage back oh, in the yeah. late '80s. They still had that big orchestra stage, right? And uh, that was really thrilling for like an arts festival or something. So um, you know that that sort of stands out too. Uh, those kind of venues. Yeah, that's that's beautiful down there. There's there's really like when you're on top of the mountain looking down at the point. There's few places in America that that are as special as that. It's just it's beautiful. Um, I want to I want to ask you about um, maybe some of your influences. I, I said earlier that another happy ending got me through a breakup with my first fiance. I mean that legit. Um, what is, what is an album that you admire that you have gone to in the past during hard times? Oh boy, uh, let's see. Uh, hmm, give me a minute to think about that. Take your time, or just something you know, you know something that's a big influence uh, yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I, I always go back um, to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, you know, that kind of music, especially "Damn the Torpedoes," stuff like "Louisiana Rain," and and uh, you know, the album after that, "Heart Promises," with songs sure. like "Insider." Uh, really, just uh, you know, you feel for me, I start feeling a little low, and, and those songs are sort of. Um, you know, there's sort of sadder songs or recognized that melancholy, and uh, that just makes it all uh, all okay. But yeah, Tom Petty, uh, it's still still a huge influence for me. One of my uh, one of my biggest. Yeah, yeah, love Tom Petty. Um, you guys, you put out an album uh, a few years ago that was uh, mostly cover songs, or maybe all cover songs. Rewind. Um, yeah. All yeah. Cover songs, yeah. Okay. Were those covers that you did when you were back with the administration, or are they just some new covers you decided to put together? Were any of them? Did you, um, do you play any of those live? Um, yes, those were all songs that we played in the earliest days of the Clarks. I don't know that any of those songs go back to the administration, but they all go back to um, the first two years of the well, well, maybe not first two, first five years of the band. Uh, really, because we started out as a cover band, and uh, you know, even throughout our career, always enjoyed playing a, a good cover of a song that we loved. Um, so all of those songs, you know, the replacements and the rave ups and REM and uh, Long Way Cadillac by Dave Alvin, just uh, um, love playing those cover songs. And those all came from the earliest days of the Clarks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, the, the Clarks is a better name by about five million percent than the administration. So. <laughs> So good, good decision yeah. there. The administration doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, right? Um, yeah, but um, uh, you know, the Clark's was uh, the Clark's was just a quick name that we needed in a hurry for a competition, and and uh, it just stuck. You know, we did well in the competition, came in like second place, and we're like, well, I guess, guess we'll keep the Clark's. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So there's there's no family member that's the Clark's, or there's no no no, no lineage whatsoever. That, that's interesting. No connection. Interesting. Um, speaking We're of big fans of the Smiths, it was all about the surname. Okay, sure. Um, speaking <laughs> speaking of covers, um, have have any bands that you can think of covered any of your jams? Um, I, 
there's a really cool video I've seen. I've seen some videos. I don't know if anybody's recorded anything or not. I've seen some neat videos though of, uh, of different people covering different songs. Um, uh, somebody once sent me, uh, a buddy of ours was in the airport in Nashville and, and they, have, they, have the, they have like a bar in Nashville with, a, with live singers and somebody was singing Penny on the floor in the Nashville airport. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And, uh, um, there was a uh, there was a cool video of uh, Chris Jamison. The kid was on American Idol from Pittsburgh. Him and a, a friend of ours, Logan Farine, were doing a version of "Hey You" uh, when they were really young, you know, like young teenagers. Um, it's real. They're really good, and they just you know they approach the song a little differently, and uh, it just makes you proud and, and feel good about oh these these young talented people like this song. And, uh, they've made it their own. And somebody sent me a video. There was a video posted once of this girl in, in like Portland, Oregon, doing a version of Born Too Late that was just gorgeous. Oh, great. Yeah. I was like, wow, that music really does sort of seep out there a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, that's what happens when that, you make great music. That's really cool, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole generation of aspiring Pittsburgh artists who are influenced by you guys, you know, the way that you were influenced growing up by Tom Petty and, and others, you know. For sure, certainly. Right, yeah. yeah um, just another, uh, yeah, yeah, another link in the Pittsburgh music chain. That's right. Um, Pittsburgh, I mean, Pittsburgh has a lot more great music than I think people are aware of, you know? Or at least a lot more than I was aware of. I mean, there's there's all kinds well, yeah. of talent coming out of Pittsburgh. As far as I knew, it was only Rusted sure. Root and you guys and, and Coolio. And today I went on and looked up right. famous Pittsburgh musicians. I mean, Christina Aguilera, uh, Wiz Khalifa. Right. I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of people. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, there's a young pop singer, singer named Daya. Of course, you know, Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller. And, um, you know, those are just contemporary artists, too. I mean, mm-hmm. but really, you think about the history of of, of that uh, the pop music, jazz music, rock music. There's a lot of Pittsburgh connections, uh, particularly jazz, you know, in the 50s and 60s and stuff. There's some, you know, heavy hitters that came from Pittsburgh and, mm. you know, people like George Benson and... Uh, you know, those kind of musicians. So um, Marvin Hamlish, you know, you know, sort of going beyond the pop and rock and roll room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. And of course, Donnie Iris, who's, who's really the king. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny when you, you said earlier about, you know, just having energy on stage at, at my advanced age. And I, he's remarkable. He's, you know, he's in his 70s. He's, he still has it, man. He can still sing like That's nobody's amazing. business. Amazing. And, uh, you know, it's really, yeah, really really cool to see that kind of stuff and the real true Pittsburgh legends and I, I get to do shows with some really uh, talented uh, people that a lot of people you know maybe aren't aware of yet you know singers there's a couple of female singers in town uh, uh, Lindsay Smith and and uh, uh, Margot Bingham who doesn't she lives in New York but she's from Pittsburgh originally and uh, Joy Ike who lives in Philly who has a Pittsburgh connection I've, I've sung with those guys and they're, they're just they just knock it out of the park. You know, I, I do what I do well enough, you know, sort of as a rock singer, but when you're on stage with people that can really, really sing. Sort of yeah. You, you guys got, uh, the, there's, there's a woman singing on one of your tracks on the new album. Who, who's, who's that? She's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Her, oh, she's, she's fantastic. Her name's Kayla, uh, Kayla Skirman. Um, and, uh, she's really, really amazing. Uh, we, you know, we had the song Roses, which got a little country feel to it. And we wanted somebody to sing a female background part, you know, a la Emmy Lou Harris. And she just, she knocked it out of the park. She's fantastic. Kayla Skirman. 
Yeah, yeah, she she's great. Yeah, a lot of the um, songs on this album have a little more of a country vibe to it, but uh, kind of like you know yeah. country country rock type of thing. I really enjoyed it. Anyway, For sure. yeah, there's there's definitely an Americana feel, especially like you had mentioned the first half of the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you've been at it as long as you guys have and made as many albums as you have, I'm sure you guys have at least a double album worth of good songs that didn't make the cut. I remember maybe a decade ago, Pearl Jam put out an album called Lost Dogs, which was you know a bunch of songs they yeah. recorded, and, and it's awesome. Can we look forward to something yeah. like that from you guys? I mean, I think that would be amazing. Well, we actually did that uh, twice in the late, 90s and early 2000s and uh, the first one's called Strikes and Gutters. Oh yeah, and I, I know that. that. Was, okay, you know, that's what that was. Demos and outtakes and, and various tunes that never made it on. Got albums. it, hence, hence the title and name. Again a couple years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, did another one called Strikes and Gutters Double Wide. Yeah. And uh, had a trailer on <laughs> it. has a trailer on the artwork and it's sort of a bowling thing. Yeah, I have both of those and, albums. You know, I didn't realize that's what that yeah, was. That. Yeah, okay. Yes, that's totally what those albums are. Um, there's like a techno version of Cigarette. Right. <laughs> some of it's really strange. Yeah, but, yeah. And some of it's really good. So, uh, yeah. Um, I don't think we, you know, honestly, now, the last couple records we've made, uh, we pretty much release what we record. Uh, yeah. You know, ver- through various means. If Even if it's not on the record proper, it comes out on Spotify or you know, in some fashion. So there's really nothing laying around right now that um, that isn't out there in some fashion. We're going to do a new uh, compilation release too. It sort of puts together a whole bunch of stuff from the last like ten years. Okay. Um, but uh, all that stuff's been released. It's just sort of uh, repackaging and and uh, putting it all together. A little retrospective. Yeah. Cool. Um, with the new album, I- I'm assuming you've you've been touring, you know, for that album. Are you coming out to Los Angeles at all? We've we've been missing you for a while here. Uh, no, no, we're not not crossing the Mississippi, my friend. Uh, right. Someday, someday, yeah. yes, I think for sure. But um, we go as far as Chicago. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's, wait a minute. If, Is it Chicago we across to, the Mississippi? We have, Do I need a geography lesson? I thought. <laughs> if we were, if we had to, uh, is Chicago on the other side of the I, I think it is. I mean, I'm not is positive. It? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think, I think, man, I think it comes down through Iowa. A- anyhow, um, uh, that allows us to still, you know, be members of families. Uh, you know, if we if we went west, we'd have to go for at least two weeks. You know, to make it worth your while to come sure. out there, you'd have to do a run of shows. Yeah, um, for sure. It, it, it certainly wouldn't be a financial win. It was just sort of be a break-even proposition just to do it and, and, and see some old friends and make some new fans, maybe. And, um, but yeah, I think we're, at some point we definitely will do that. Um, but right now we go, you know, to Chicago, Cleveland, Indianapolis, and go down to the Carolinas and go up to New York and in Philly and DC and Annapolis and a lot of good places. So yeah, I mean, you you said Philadelphia someday and then you said a lot of good someday. places. I don't I don't think those two jive. You didn't catch that. <laughs> I'm, I'm ripping on Philadelphia. Um, I love Philly. 
Do you? I, you know, do you, do you, do, I, I do you love Philly or do you just have to say that because there's fans in Philly? No, man. And I honestly mean that. I, mean, I, I went, to, we went to IUP, obviously. Right. Talked about right. That. And I had uh, my freshman year, all of my friends were, were guys from Philly. All of them. Um, you know, save for one or two, but my roommate, um, um, was from Philly and just North of Philly, like the suburbs. And, um, and all, all his buddies and a bunch of people that lived on my dorm hall. There was a ton of guys from Philly. So I immediately started saying soda. You know, I uh, stopped saying pop, pop, but I started saying soda. And uh, I fell in love with Philly. And, and the band started playing out there. And we really were sort of welcomed with open arms when we played in Philly. We, we, we've we been playing out there really since the early 90s at like J.C. Dobbs on South Street. And, and so I just have so many good memories from, from South Street and... and just love Philadelphia. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, well, I mean, you got fans there. You're you're allowed to say that. You're allowed to have your opinion. But I'm here to correct you. Philadelphia is an armpit. <laughs> we're just we're just leave it at that. We'll be back with more on the Dad Presents after these words. Yo, B, what's happening? You, you notice how chill and sexy I'm looking right now? Uh, no comment on that. Well, yeah, you notice. Don't pretend you didn't notice. Mm, quite the opposite. <laughs> but what are you getting at? You want to know why I'm looking so chill and please, so sexy right now? Please stop talking and just tell me what, what you're <laughs> It's me undies. I'm feeling good. I'm wearing me undies. I feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Are we really talking about your underwear right now? We're talking about my underwear. I don't want to talk about your underwear. Me undies are the best underwear you can get out there. And our listeners, we got a code for you. If you want some me undies, if you want to feel fresh, if you want to look good, go to meundies.com. Use the code word friend. Buy 20 for 20% off. That's a bargain any price. So you, you said these are the best underwear you can get? Look at me right now. I don't want to. Look at me. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Go to me undies. <laughs> do what he said with the code. Get them. They're great underwear. That's all I'm going to say about it. My nuts are so tight. I, I, you took it too far. Come on. I'm switching gears to, to parenthood and, and your children. You know... I got two young boys, uh, nine and six, and and I mean they're pretty much in awe of me. You know, they think I'm the strongest and smartest man on the planet, and that's pretty much because that's what I lie to them and say. But um, you're Scott Blazy of the Clarks. You're you're a legitimate star. Now, when you go to like Kennywood or wherever with your daughters, um, are they aware? Do, do do they understand who you are? Do they think it's cool when people come up to you? Do they listen to your music? Are, are you a star to your children is what I'm getting at. Uh, uh, th- those are definitely different answers. Am I a star to my children? Uh, no. I'm just dad, <laughs> which I love. They understand the other stuff, and they think that's cool. And, yes, there's a times, you know, if I'm at Kennywood or, you know, wherever, hey, I would really like your band. Can, can my wife get a picture real quick or something? And, and I always enjoy doing that, and my kids think that's neat stuff. Um, and I think there's times where, you know, certainly we do big shows and they think, oh, what dad does is pretty cool. Um, but 98% of the time, um, it's just a really a father daughter relationship. That's, it's pretty terrific. So, yeah, that's um, awesome. I think that answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that one of your daughters sometimes, um, performs with you. Is she is she legit? Can she really sing, or is that just a fun little thing you do? Uh, all three of them have really beautiful voices, and I try to be objective about it, and I think I am. I think they really all can sing. My middle daughter, Ava, 
<clears throat> Ava is most comfortable on stage. She's done it the most and, and from the youngest age and has always loved it and thrived on it and enjoyed being in the spotlight <clears throat> and has felt comfortable in front of people, which is 80% of the battle. Yeah, yeah, at least. So, I mean, the other 20%. And all the kids have been on stage with me, with the band, <clears throat> and they've all sung with us before. Um, That's so Ava, cool. however, I, I feel like, honestly, has a really genuine talent. She loves musical theater. She loves to sing. She loves to act. You know, they walk around, all the kids, and particularly her, she sings these songs from Mary Poppins Returns, those new ones. Um, and, and she just has a gorgeous voice, and she sings loud and, and with with control and, and she's really an amazing thing to listen to. And I always enjoy it. So yeah, I, I think she has talent and she seems to like to do it. So I would encourage it. In fact, I, I could be quite happy being a theater dad uh, the rest <laughs> of my days. Yeah. Yeah. For my money, I mean, there, there's nothing, there's nothing better than watching your kid excel at something except for watching them <laughs> excel at something that they, they really love. It's just, it's the best. It's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is fantastic. You say you have boys? Yeah, I got two boys. We uh, the wife wants to try for a third. She wants a daughter. She uh, pulled the right. goalie, but you know um, it's not gonna. What's that? You know it's not gonna happen. Yeah, you I know, know the daughter's not gonna happen. I know, I know. My dad's got all boys. My grandfather's got all boys. I'm pretty sure yeah. I just I made boys. I'm very masculine, is what we I'm all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all roll in threes. Yeah, most of us anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but but. Three times the love, man. You know, even if you get another boy. Yeah, I don't know. If, if I get another boy, I might try to <laughs> trade somebody like you with three girls. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so while we're on the kids' stuff, um, what, what we do here typically is um, we, uh, uh, viewers, listeners, submit questions about parenting that they want answered? Are you game for me tossing out a couple and you trying to give some advice? Absolutely. All right. All right. So this first one comes from Dave, coincidentally from Pittsburgh. And he says he's curious to know at what age you would give your child a phone. A phone? Yeah. With phone phone service? We established that at 12 for our daughters. That's like sixth grade. Uh, And that's not... Um, that's not like here you go you can have this all the time mm-hmm. that's you know it's it's now a device mainly for communication that if you go somewhere or sleep over or go out with some friends we have a way to communicate with you um, and then that said as long as grades and behavior are at, a, at good, excellent levels um, you know you'll have certain privileges with that as far as being able to watch videos and play games and 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 it's never during the week, uh, we always had a no uh, no electronics during the week policy. Um, that's gotten that's softened a little for especially now my eighth grader, fourteen years old. But my twelve years old is is typically for our kids is when uh, they can get a phone with phone service. Yeah. Obviously, the younger one has an old phone that you know she can do all of the things she wants to do on it. But it's uh, we're not paying for it like that. Right. Uh, what what about the the social media though? Do you let them do like Facebook or Twitter or any of that? Well, kids certainly. My fourteen year old is uh, the most well versed in the world of cell phones and social media, and and they are not at all. Twitter 
is not even on their radar. Um, neither is Facebook. Facebook is for Good. old people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm old. I, I, I'm, I'm surmising. I don't, I think that's, pro- I mean, I, my mother is 89 and she's on Facebook. Oh, so, wow. You know, yes, there are a lot of people, I think, younger people and families and moms and wives and husbands that use Facebook and communicate that way. But certainly to a 14-year-old, um, no, they're not on Facebook. They are on Snapchat primarily, I think. Okay. Uh, not I think, I know. Yeah. <laughs> they're on Snapchat. Taking those stupid Instagram. pictures with bunny ears and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, yes. There's yeah. a lot of that. And my wife does, too. My wife monitors uh, pretty close. My wife likes social media. She's on Facebook. She likes Facebook. So she monitors pretty closely what they're doing. And, uh, and we've and we've really only recently allowed Snapchat with the 14-year-old. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you try to monitor it as much as you can, but you can't be totally big brother about it. Right. At some point, your kids will say to you, well, you know, at a certain point, there has to be a, a little bit of a level of trust. Right, okay, right. Okay, you know what's allowed, what's not allowed. Um, don't make me mistrust you. And right. And all, all, all is well, because we're still paying for this phone, and if it has to go away, it goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, certainly for a 14-year-old and, and the activities, play practices, this and that, uh, it's almost essential. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm sure it exists without it, but... And not only is from a practical standpoint, just uh, the way 14-year-olds communicate with one another is primarily through their phone. Yeah, one, you know, interesting, get- one interesting thing I've, I've, I've learned recently is that with the social media, teen, depression amongst teenage girls, not boys, it seems to affect girls more, is up something like 300% in the last decade, and they attribute that to the social media and whatnot. And you hear something like that, and it might might scare you off of it. But what I take away from that is, you know, you just you gotta parent your child, and you know they're gonna be on the social media. You can't stop them from being on it, and you're not helping them by keeping them off of it. You're just kind of retarding their ability to grow and advance with the rest of society. You just have to make sure they get validation for themselves in other means. You know, I think that I think the reason so many girls get depressed with the social media is because they're, they're looking for external validation with the, the likes on this picture, you know, who liked this picture, who liked right. that picture. And, you know, if you give, if you right. give your girls a, a good moral compass and self-confidence, then, then that shouldn't be a problem. I agree with you. You got, you got to give your kid the phone. So there you go, Andy. Um, one, or I'm sorry, that was uh, Dave. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more, one more parent question and then we can, get around to wrapping this up. You've been very generous with your time. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, it's been a pleasure. It's really it's cool pleasure. to talk to you. I mean, I've been, a, I've been a, a big fan for a long time. Um, anyway, we got Andy here and Andy is from Los Angeles. And he says that uh, we have a six year old who, in my opinion, cries way too much. I'm all for boys sharing their feelings and not being afraid to cry. But there's also such a thing as crying too much. How do I stop my kid from crying all the time without being an asshole about it? That's it. Wow. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, I, it's obviously, I, I, I never had a son. Uh, I can only approach it from my daughter's point of view or from my point of view in dealing with my daughters. Um, I just try to comfort. I've, I've uh, you know, I, 
none of us are perfect as humans, as parents, and certainly I've made mistakes and I've been in frustrating situations where the kids are crying, and particularly when you're young and, uh, you know, you just get angry and you're just like you're tired and you're just pissed and your kid is mad and, and uh, nothing seems to be helping. Um, but I've, I've found over the years that uh, generally the calmer uh, that you can stay and the you know, the most sympathetic and empathetic that you can be, um, generally, um, gets them back to, to neutral, you know, gets them to stop crying or gets them out of a tantrum or any of those things. You know, that's, that's the, the big thing for me is just staying, uh, as calm as I can and just, and, and as comforting as I can. And again, you know, uh, having daughters is, is the way it has worked for me and for my kids. Uh, sons are possibly a different ball game. Um, cause you sort of expect daughters to, to cry. And there are times when you're like, your kids are crying and you look at your daughter and say, what are you crying about? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on, but uh, I would say just, um, be as comforting and as calm as you can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say to answer that, Andy, um, and yeah, I, I kind of put you on the spot there, given that you have all daughters. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent aware of that before, uh, the show, but Andy, um, you know, if your kid is crying all the time, one of the problems might be that he's, he, he's only six. He might not have all the tools he needs to communicate how he's feeling. Uh, a lot of kids, you know, babies cry constantly because it's the only way they can communicate to you what's wrong with them. Uh, maybe sit down with your kid and, and work on his, communication skills as one now if this continues when he's seven eight nine ten you know i i got a couple boys and one of them was like that he was crying all the time and i had to make a rule i had to say look it's okay to cry you know you want kids to express how they feel you want them to be comfortable with sharing their emotions but there's a difference between crying when you're sad and just crying because you're not getting your way you don't want your kids to turn into whiners or the the kind of kids who just cry at every little thing. Um, you want your kids to be likable people and uh, people who grew up to be adults who are whining all the time, they're not very likable. So with my kids, you know, with this particular kid, when he was crying because he was legitimately injured or because he was sad, you know, we would, we would, we were down with that. But if he was just crying because he wasn't getting what he wanted for dessert or every little time he bumped his knee, then we just got to the point where we would just ignore it and, it eventually went away. So that'd be my advice. Um, yeah. So again, thanks so much. You've been fantastic. I hope you guys make music for another 30 years on top of this. I hope you get back to LA. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I hope to get you on the show again. You, you, you've been tremendous. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed this. It's therapy. It's like therapy. <laughs> I should have been laying down on my couch. <laughs> well, you give me way too much credit, but all right. Thank you. All right, Scott, you take care. All right, man. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, guys. So that, that does it with episode 17 of The Dad Presents. Um, just a couple things. I want to give a shout out to Zoltan Istvan, who was on episode 15, I believe. His film, he was talking about Immortality or Bust, actually won the Breakthrough Award for the LA Film Festival. It's amazing. Uh, if you want to go see it, it's 
It's going to be in theaters on Saturday. I'm going with my buddy Paul Lemire, who has a song featured in it. Um, I want to give a shout-out to G-Love. He's going to be our next guest. And and finally, I want to give a shout-out. I know a lot of people in Pittsburgh are listening. A very good friend of mine, Kevin, from Pittsburgh, also a fan of the Clarks. He passed away uh, about a week ago from complications of the flu, and it's always sad to see a loved one go, um, especially when they're gone too soon. Uh, so if you're out there, say a prayer for Kevin. All right, guys, and we will see you in a few more days. Thanks. There's a penny